This is the third week now that we are looking at that very thorny subject under the general title, The Will of God. Two weeks ago, we spoke on one aspect, the intentional will of God, trying to point out that God has a purpose and a plan for all of his creation, for every individual. There's a purpose and a plan intended by God that we should fulfill. And without taking too long of a breath, we jumped right in with the idea also that though many, many, many things that happen in your life and in mine are according to the intentions that God has for us, the intentional will of God, let us never fall into the error or the mistake of believing everything that happens is the intended will of God. And then that led us into last week's presentation on the subject of the circumstantial will of God, trying to point out that some of the things, some, not all, but some of the things that happen to us can be caused by circumstance circumstances which are still a mystery to us because of God's creation, but circumstances, some of which can be traced back to your sin or my sin. But God, nevertheless, is still able to work within those circumstances, and we call it the circumstantial will of God, but God can work in any circumstances for the good, if we're willing to believe him and follow him. And then that leads us to where we are going to start this morning on the final aspect, the ultimate will of God. And I think the ultimate will of God can be best understood in a three-word sentence, God always wins. That's the ultimate will of God. God always wins. Now, when you say those three little words, you say many things. I think, first of all, what you are saying is that because God always wins, there is absolutely nothing Nothing that will ever be able to inevitably defeat the will of God. Nothing. No sickness, no stubbornness or stupidness, no sin, no evil, no absolutely nothing will ever be able to inevitably defeat the ultimate will of God. We have an example of that in the scripture lesson that you've just heard. Here is the history of one of our Bible school heroes, a man whose brothers wanted to kill him because of their jealousy. 
who relented and only sold him into slavery. A man who was lied about to his elderly father. A man who eventually found himself into a strange foreign country, and a man who got arrested, put in jail, had to serve a jail sentence because of a false accusation of a frustrated woman. A man who was forgotten about for a long period of time, but when he did get out of prison, creatively and positively he used his God-given talents and eventually he began to rise in the administration until at length he became secretary of the agriculture of a foreign nation. A man whose brothers eventually had to come face to face with him even though they didn't recognize him. And all of these strange things, the only way Joseph could answer as to how and why all of this took place was with that sentence, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God always wins, and there is absolutely nothing, nothing, that will inevitably defeat the ultimate will of God. And that message goes through the Bible from Genesis to the Revelation to John. God always wins. Now that says something else to me too. It means that God then will use us, you and me, either through our voluntary response or if we do not respond in love to his grace. God will use you and me one way or the other. If he can't use us as his agents, which is his intended will, I believe, his intended will is that we will respond to his word, to the leading of his Holy Spirit, and do those things that he calls us to do. That's his intended will. But if he cannot use us as agents, he will use us as instruments. One way or the other, God will use you and me to perfect and ultimate his will. The distinction you see to be made here, and I know it's not foolproof, but it's the best example that I can come up with. The distinction between agent and instrument. When you think of agent in the term of a human being, you, you think of an individual who has responsibility. You think of an individual who is sent out by the home office, who is given an area, who is given a job to do, and who is given authority and power to act only in the freedom and the responsibility of the one that he represents. But when you speak about instrument, you usually think of tools, devices, something that are, something that are not 
active, but rather passive. Some things that can only be used by another if ever an effect is going to come from them. As was pointed out in our seminar this morning with our leaders, Bert Malkar said that it's like having a paintbrush. A paintbrush in his hand or my hand would be total slop. But you put it in the hand of an artist and that paintbrush becomes an instrument that brings beauty but the paintbrush is only an instrument it's the genius the uniqueness the power of the agent behind it that makes it effective God will use us one way or another if he doesn't use us as an agent he will use us as an instrument. Now sometimes that's very hard to define. Thirty years ago there was traveling around this nation preaching an individual by the name of Charles B. Templeton. Maybe some of you have heard of him. He is in Canada now on television reporting the news and writing the news. But thirty years ago he and another young chap by the name of Billy Graham alternated nights preaching as they traveled throughout this land. When I got to seminary, there were several young persons who claimed that the Lord had come alive to them. They had met Jesus Christ and had been called into the ministry through the effective agency and ministry of Charles B. Templeton. Shortly before we graduated, it's now 20 years ago, word came to the seminary that Charles B. Templeton had left the ministry. He is supposed to have said publicly that no longer could he believe what he had been telling people for years. He had lost his confidence in the power of God's Spirit and Scripture. When that word reached our campus, I saw grown men cry. I saw strong men become weakened. I saw people questioning not only the authenticity of a man who they believed to be an agent of God, I saw people really questioning whether or not they were authentic agents of God. I don't know which, whether God used Chuck Templeton as an agent or an instrument. I'm not sure, and only God knows. But this I do know, that I believe the ultimate will of God was done through that man. Because today, this very day, throughout this entire land, there are dozens of men and women proclaiming the word of God because God used that man whether as an agent or an instrument, only God knows. But God used him somehow for his ultimate will. So remember, when you say God always wins, it means that he can use anything and he can use anybody. And if he doesn't use us as an agent, 
then he'll use us as an instrument. And right about this time, I can hear some of you bright people saying, Oh, goody, it really doesn't matter what I do because God will use me one way or another. And to that particular statement, I must say, God will use you and me either as an agent or as an instrument, but it will make a big difference to us. Because how God uses us will be the determining factor as to how and where we shall spend the rest of our days, which are eternal. And listen carefully. Because God can use us for his ultimate will, any way, any how that he desires. It is possible for the ultimate will of God to be done and a person perish and be lost. Let me repeat that because that's something that we have to hear and understand. Though the ultimate will of God shall be done, it is altogether possible that a person can perish and be lost. Now, I believe that with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'd rather not, but that is where I am in my pilgrimage of faith, and I believe it, and I use as my example the historical Judas Iscariot. To me, this is where the crux of the argument rests. If we are to believe that Judas Iscariot was created by God with the intention that he betray God in Jesus Christ, that God the Father created him with the sole intention and purpose to use his life to betray Jesus Christ and to bring upon the effect of the cross. If we believe that Judas could do none other or anything else but fulfill that particular intention for which he was created, do you see what we do? We make God the author of evil. We make God the designer of his own son's death. And what's more than that, we make Judas a puppet and also elevate him to the high position of an international hero. Did you ever think of it that way? That if you truly believe, as I do, that the cross is the symbol and the sign of God's eternal salvation for all who will accept it, and that's what it is, then, we, after congratulating Jesus and thanking him on the other side when we get to heaven, the first thing we ought to do is go over and congratulate Judas and thank him for allowing his life to bring forth the very thing that brings forth our rebirth in salvation. Judas then ought to be seated in the front row of heaven, in seat number A. 
If we believe that that was God's will, then Judas fulfilled God's will. Hallelujah. We should name our children after Judas. But we don't do that, do we? As a matter of fact, you and I think that it is real Christian and Presbyterian not to think too highly of Judas. We don't name our children Judas. Soon I'm going to be 47 years old and you realize I've never met one person in those 47 years whose parents have named him or her Judas. We think that Judas was a pretty evil character. No matter why or how he was misguided or misled, he was wrong. We think of Judas as Jesus spoke of him. And remember what Jesus said about him? It would have been better for that man if he had never been born. And in John's prayer of Jesus, Jesus refers to Judas as the son of perdition. And perdition is just one of those great, big, fancy theological words for damnation. Judas we think of as the son of perdition who is completely and irreparably lost, gone, ruined. And though God used Judas, not as an agent, but as an instrument, God will use you and me as either an agent or an instrument. He'll use us somehow, some way, but how he uses us will determine how and where we shall spend the rest of our days. And ladies and gentlemen, eternity is a long, long time. So we bring this portion on the ultimate will of God to conclusion by trying to point up that the only real question which you ought to ask Whenever you discuss the will of God, and how grateful I am that nearly 200 members of this congregation are not only listening to this sermon, but studying the book of Dr. Weatherhead and risking the adventure of discussion with other Christians. You see, the important question is not, what is the ultimate will of God? How will God do it? You can ask that, but really, nobody knows that. And you're not going to know the ultimate will of God for your life until God calls you home. So merely asking and questioning what is the ultimate will of God in my life, I don't know, you don't know. Only time will tell. So don't waste time on that particular discussion. Or question, nor spend time, please do not, on just talking about the coincidences and the circumstances 
as to why now you are living in what we could call the circumstantial will of God. Maybe, yes, you can find out the mystery why something is going on in your life. You might be able to blame this person or that person or even your own sin. But even after you have found out how and why these circumstances exist, what do you know? Doesn't take them away, doesn't ease the pain. You still must live by faith, believing that God who loves you and who has called you, can work for the good in all circumstances, no matter what. Now, the important question, and I think the only question we as Christians can ask as we debate and think about the will of God, is when we come and honestly and conscientiously ask, Am I living today in what I believe is the intentional will of God for me? That's the important question. And when you can answer that question, and it's not that easy, but it is a question that you can wonder about. It's a question that you can search the scriptures about. It's a question that will help you to make sure that in faith you are trying to do that, that God created you to do and gave you as an intention to do when he brought you on the face of this earth. We bring now to a conclusion what has been for me a very trying time, a very wonderful time, a time of growth, and I hope for all of us a time that will be looked back upon as being a part of God's will for us. So, ladies and gentlemen, please do not waste the opportunity. Do not let this time go by in vain. But ask yourself as you leave here today, am I in the intentional will of God today? We're going to end a little differently. You're going to pray with me our concluding prayer. Please pray and follow as I lead. Good morning, Lord. I love you. I'm going to love everybody today. I'm going to love myself. I believe that wherever you lead me today, it will be to do your will. Lead me, Father. 
Give me the courage to follow. Let us get up and going. Amen. And now, may the peace of God that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, to be to whom be honor, glory, dominion, and power, now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>